This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This podcast is also available at Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and via warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be catching up with the New Zealand women's team head coach Mick Coulthard plus the captain of the Texas Heat in Hayley Rebar. But first... Here's the latest women's footy news. We'll begin by heading overseas and the United States Australian Football League have confirmed that their central, western and eastern regional tournaments for 2020 have been cancelled. The tournaments, which were due to take place in Texas, Colorado and Ohio respectively, have been called off due to the COVID-19 situation. USAFL media manager Brian Barish delivered the news on the Marks and Stripes podcast. Just relaying some... uh kind of down news, but uh, news that I think uh, everyone had kind of expected over the last couple of weeks. And uh, that was the announcement on uh, Friday morning to the presidents of the league uh, and as well as Friday afternoon to the rest of the league on our social media that the 2020 regional championship series has been canceled due to health concerns over the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, The goal, once we are able to resume play is for uh, teams to take part in smaller tournaments and sub-regionals, if you will. There's more information about all of this on our website, usafl.com. But it is important to remember that all of this is predicated on when we can all across the country uh, come back and be safe again once the uh, this has abated to the point where we can go back out and, and play football again in a, in a safe environment. I know a lot of states are starting to ease up on uh, restrictions, especially I know here in Pennsylvania that that's happening as well. And I know that in some where you are, that might be happening if you're listening in Australia as well. Uh, but that is the most important thing is the safety of, uh, of the players, uh, our club people, as well as the umpires and all of our, all of our partners as well. So, uh, Hopefully, we will be back and and, uh, playing football soon uh, this summer in the lead-up to uh, what we hope will be a great national championship carnival in Ontario, California, uh, the weekend of October 10th and 11th. Back home, and three AFLW clubs have announced their club champions for the 2020 season. For the Melbourne Football Club, the winner was Shelley Scott. For the Gold Coast Suns, the winner was Jamie Stanton. And for the Western Bulldogs, NAB AFLW Rising Star and All-Australian Isabel Huntington took out their club champion award. Here was Isabel's speech following that virtual presentation. I wouldn't have even thought about this or expected this whatsoever going into the season. Um, I honestly just wanted to get out there and play one game and um, get my body right. And um, I've absolutely loved every minute out on the field. Obviously, we would have loved to sing the song and sing Jackie a few more times, but Um, We can work on that for next year, but playing for this club is such an honour and being able to run out there with my teammates each week is just absolutely unreal. Um, I think I'm going to forget a few people in this, but um, just some thank yous. Um, I think first and foremost uh, to the medical team and the rehab team. Um, Sorry. Uh, You guys have done so, so much for me. 
across the years and, you know, even before I got drafted, um, my body was all battered and, um, you know, Mick and the club had the faith in me to draft me despite that and the medical team have um, been able to fix me up and, and get me out on the park. So to to Phil, to Fee, to Schultze, to Dan and Vic, to Ben, um, to Beck, she's not here, um, to live as well. Um, thank you guys so much for allowing me to um, get out of a place where I probably didn't, you know, there were times I didn't think I was really going to be able to play footy anymore um, with the state of my body. And, um, you know, Becky gets stuck into me for not training and that's fair enough. <laughs> Hopefully I can have a few more on leg sessions next year. Um, I'll negotiate with the physios, but um, yeah, to even just be able to get out there and play is a huge thing. And um, that's not my work, honestly, it's um, the work of the rehab team um, and the physio and the physios and medical team. So thank you so much um, to all of those people. Um, also to obviously the club, um, I'm so incredibly pl- proud to play for the Western Bulldogs. Um, and I think, you know, hearing Cash speak before about the community foundation and, um, all of the work that they do and congrats to Sparky on that award, um, is one of the huge reasons that I'm so proud of playing for this club. It's, we're such a community based club and a family club and, um, yeah, just the way that, um, you know, the club has embraced all of the players and that, yeah, Amit and um, Pete Gordon and Izzy Grant's dad have um, done it is just amazing. And, um, yeah, I think we all feel extremely lucky to play for this club. Um, to Berkey, obviously, um, I think Ellie summarised it pretty well, but we've all absolutely loved you from the minute you came in. And um, I think you've really inspired this group. And I've got so much faith in what we can do in years to come. Such a great young list um, and brilliant people. So thank you for being our, our dad, our footy dad, and um, just being a legend all the time. Um, to Debo, of course, as well. Um, yeah, Ellie again said it. Um, You've had all the words said about you and um, everyone knows how much of a star you are and a legend and um, we just so appreciate you and um, all your ice bus stories and um, all the Debbie Lee chants, uh, you know, one of the highlights of our time at the club. So thank you so, so much for that. Um, to Booney, again, he's not here, but um, he's been huge for me, obviously helping me uh, transition to the back line and um, just being a funny little fella out there that we can, you know, bump around. Um, so a huge thanks to, to Booney, um, to Bobby Murphy, Double M. Um, thank you as well. Uh, you've been huge on the leadership front, as has Al, um, and in terms of the back line, um, have helped really welcome me there as well. Um, I'm undoubtedly forgetting people and I'm so sorry and I'll, I'll get in touch with you after, but, um, you know, there's so many people I want to thank and, um, all of the awards that have been presented tonight, the, the players that receive them are in those positions because of the people around them, um, and all of their support. Um, and it's a real team effort. So thank you so much for that. I'll quickly obviously mention my family as well. Um, and a big thanks to them for their support, uh, since day dot with everything. Um, yeah, it's, just such an incredible honour to be recognised here um, in such a great club and a club that has done so, so much for women's footy and will continue to do so much for women's footy. That's Isabel Huntington, club champion for the Western Bulldogs in AFLW 2020. We'll have more of the Women's Australian Rules football podcast on RSN Carnival right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. 
Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. On RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks so much for your company. To the first of our two guests for this week, well, the AFL International Cup was meant to be held in July and August on the Sunshine Coast. That has been delayed a year due to the COVID-19 situation. Two new teams were meant to make their debut at the International Cup, one being the German Eagles, and we'd covered them uh, quite a lot last year, particularly through the AFL European Championship, and a side that we're still trying to learn about because they'd only really been formed since January, the New Zealand Kahoo, at least at a senior women's football level. That Kahoo had played as an under-18 youth girls side, first against the Australian Breeze a good five or six years ago, and more recently against the Moynton Peninsula Junior Football League in an annual series of matches. To talk about senior women's football in New Zealand, the original plans for this year's International Cup and how they're being tweaked as they look forward now to 2021, we have on the line the coach of the New Zealand Senior Women's National Team, Mick Coulthard. Mick, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. Absolutely. Uh, another great day over here in New Zealand, that's for sure. Um, first of all, how are things uh, in New Zealand at the moment, obviously with the COVID-19 situation? Yeah, look, it's, um, it's interesting. Uh, that's, that's, that's fair to say. Um, we've, we've certainly we've just come out of uh, Level 4 lockdown, so we're now in Level 3, which means uh, a few more people can go back to work and, and bits and pieces of sport. In general, it's, uh, there's still no sport uh, being played at any level. And... Uh, Probably another, you know, it's, it's going to change. It's a fluid sort of situation, but um, who knows, hopefully uh, we can get back on the paddock in, a, in a four or five weeks, obviously not in the AFL sense, because AFL is a summer sport here in New Zealand. So we'll talk about your involvement in youth girls and women's football in New Zealand in a moment, but for yourself, uh, Mick, how were you first introduced to the game and when? <laughs> I've, I've been living in um, New Zealand now for uh, 16 years um, and I still speak with a little bit of a twang and I get a bit of grief uh, when I'm here, when I when I talk and I get a bit of grief when I go back home and talk or go back to Oz, years home now. Um, but I was introduced, I've played uh, footy from a very young age, both Marnie football when I was up in Townsville and um, came over here back in 2004 and uh, been here since and been involved in AFL here in New Zealand, uh, whether it's uh, uh, coaching at uh, grassroots level in the in the men's competition here in Auckland or um, uh, supporting the, the national representative team. It was around 2013 that you became involved with the New Zealand uh, Youth Girls side, also named the Kahoo, when they made their debut against the Australian Breeze. What were your thoughts then about crossing over to helping the female side of the game, particularly when we talk about 2013? This is years off the idea of even an AFLW competition starting. Yes, it is a very interesting story. When I first came, let me go back a a few more years before that as well. In 2004, when I first came over here, I I reached out to, um, back then it was NZAFL, um, and one of the regional development officers and said, look, I want to get involved. And he said, oh, look, I've got a a, a school carnival day happening uh, event 
know if you want to come out and help umpire. I said, yeah, sure. Went out to it. There are 17 teams, and of those 17 teams, school teams, this is in New Zealand, of those 17 teams, seven of them were girls teams, and I was just gobsmacked because in 2004, um, you wouldn't have had that that in Australia even. Um, so for me, oh, I always saw an opportunity for uh, the women game, the, the girls, the, the girls and women's game here in New Zealand. But it wasn't until uh, in 2013, as you've as mentioned, I was, um, I was I happened to be working for AFL New Zealand at the time, and uh, the CEO turned around to me and says, "Oh." I've got this team, Australian Breeze, want to come over and uh, give us a ga- post game. Do you think we can put a team together? And at that stage, the secondary school competition, we had uh, a fairly strong girls' secondary school competition happening at the time. I said, yeah, sure. And he goes, okay, you've got three months. <laughs> um, so it was a very quick turnaround to put a, a national team together from uh, the school's competition. But um, to their credit, uh, those girls are now young women um, and... A number of them are still uh, continuing to play or um, have moved on themselves. But um, you know, from from the start, our first uh, our first sort of uh, success sort of point was uh, just the score. If you look at the Australian breeze team that came over, you had players like um, like Taylor Harris was in the first one. There you go. There's a big name for you. Um, and a couple of other Sabrina and and Zadden and a couple of other girls as well. So it was uh, it was a big uh, task to play against uh, sixteen of the best Australian uh, girls from all over Australia, and we'd only been playing well. It was their first full field game. There you go. As you said, there were a lot of AFLW superstars, not only on that side, but then for a number of other Australian Breeze tours that would come over from those early mm. years. How was the standard when you were comparing it against the Australian side, and particularly after that first uh, set of games? Uh, what did you take then as a roadmap of, OK, we may not ever be able to get exactly on par with the Australians, but how do we get that gap to, to close? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a very good one. Um, I think if you're... The, the, the gap will close the more opportunities there are for the girls here to play uh, footy. Um, and in saying that, we're putting uh, some quality athletes uh, in the game, but they're playing with other people that are just learning the game. So, um, But if you were to take some of those athletes out and put them with people who have been playing the game, their learning curve would be so much quicker. For example, um, you know, when we were given the opportunity to have uh, our players uh, come and play. You know, uh, AFL Tasmania were kind enough to give us a couple of positions in their Tasmanian teams back uh, a, few, a number of years ago, and it started with Jolyn Collins um, going over and playing for Tasmania. Then it was uh, Kalani Moro, then Jamie Wyatt, and uh, Kalani and Jamie went over again last year, um, with Kalani then going on to play for the Eastern Allies. So the more opportunities and you put them around people that know how to play, it's just going to lift their standards. So in my eyes, how are you going to close that gap? Just give them more opportunities to play with and amongst uh, other people that have been playing for a considerable amount of time versus playing with with people who have... Um, not to say we're not going to play with people that uh, are just learning the game, but the more you can expose them to um, how the game is played, the better. 
you've been talking about having some players play for um, Tasmania on, on a guest basis. Does the next step in that um, prior to AFLW look like, as, for example, establishing a partnership with a VFLW side to try and get, um, if not a full season, at least a handful of games under the belt of some of some Kiwi ladies playing in a state league competition as the next step? Yeah, that'd be that'd be really cool. But there's a you know with that there comes a lot of uh, logistical issues at the moment. Um, the very the game is um, very much these girls coming through, and, and a number of the girls are now going into studying at university, and the support of um, being based either based in Melbourne or things like that um, is removing them from their families, removing them from their studies, and relocating is going to be a very big. Uh, Part um, and with that, if there's a big support base for them, fantastic. Without that support base, it's going to be a little bit uh, harder. Um, but um, it would certainly be that opportunity for that to happen would be fantastic, and there would be ways to work that out. And that would be um, certainly something that um, uh, FLW or AFL uh, and the AFL New Zealand would be uh, wanting to have those conversations. I would imagine. We'll talk a little bit more on that pathway in just a moment, but stepping back a bit to the youth girls football, uh, one thing that you've had regularly is a series of matches against the Mornington Peninsula Junior Football League. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that um, started a while ago, and that's been fantastic. Um, and it's probably been um, the best, best thing for uh, the youth girls playing over here. Um, uh, it was first started out as a very... Uh, a very similar standard um, and because uh, we're able to play competitively the girls I think have grown considerably in the way that they've been able to play the game and um, yeah they've now had uh, I think it's um, I think the, 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 the paddle stand is seven on a trot uh, for that for the, for the New Zealand youth Kahus. Um and yeah so that would make them one of the most successful New Zealand teams so let's talk about the focus now of moving from youth girls football to women's football. Um, it was last year that the premiership had started, which was a two-team competition. Can you explain how that structure works in New Zealand uh, football? Is it a case of a premiership with local competitions underneath? Um, initially, no. Uh, that was a, a case of the local leagues around the, the nation. So there's uh, four local leagues. So there's Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, and uh, Dunedin, Otago. Um, and so what was happening is uh, there was uh, women in each of those regions that were keen to play. So we brought them together and created two teams. This season coming up, uh, dependent on what that looks like as we come out of COVID-19 lockdown and, and the on-flow effect, um, a lot of the leagues are starting to now uh, broaden their scope and include uh, a, women, a women's competition. Um, and essentially that that might start out as two teams. In some cases it might start out as four. It might go as big as six. Um, the leagues aren't, aren't as massive as they are in Australia, um, and understandably so. Uh, but yeah, certainly um, initially uh, that premiership is saying, hey, Here's an opportunity for women to come together and play AFL because uh, there had been some putting their hands up and it's 
definitely an opportunity for those youth girls that are no longer able to play in the youth girls to continue playing the sport that they now love. Now, for yourself, you were appointed at the start of the year as head coach now for the senior women's New Zealand Cahoos side who were due to play in the International Cup that was originally scheduled for July, August. Prior to the COVID-19 situation happening, where was the squad in terms of development preparing for this International Cup? Yeah, so it was in its uh, initial stages. So we had the um, premiership, the women's premiership, where we had a, a number of games played uh, and essentially was a wider squad. From there, we were going to uh, flip the wider squad and go into uh, a, a bit of a program leading into uh, reducing that squad and then coming up with a final squad. And, and, and that's going to be, again, that's a, a, a big call because um, there's a number of uh, women coming from uh, Christchurch and Otago and, and Wellington as well. Uh, so bringing them all together is, is always a big big part as, uh, as uh, most national teams are, but um, certainly the big base of our play, play or the, the women's player base is in Auckland, so that, 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 that's one little benefit. Um, but certainly we hadn't gone down the line as this is a final squad, so it was a wider squad and the girls have been playing and they're absolutely enjoying the games they have been playing, um, but certainly more games the better. So let's pretend we're in a perfect world. Let's pretend it was going ahead this July, August, as we know it's postponed to next year. What was the plan over, I guess, what would have been the two and a bit months counting down to the tournament from here? How would have training increased? And, and was there any uh, practice matches lined up, whether it be against another country in Australia prior to the International Cup or a local side to obviously get that experience to, of being a unit together before the two-week tournament kicked off? Yeah, you've got to appreciate that um, that these girls are all got um, they've all got jobs, they've all got other sports that they play, and um, unfortunately, the AFL at this level is uh, all user pay. So actually, bringing the girls together is uh, quite a difficult thing. But um, leading up to it, yes, training would have been uh, still still been fairly similar, uh, looking at uh, two days two days a week, and um, then hopefully bringing them together in training camps uh, prior to one or two of the training camps where we can focus on uh, not necessarily the training, but just uh, connecting the girls together and uh, building a bond there. And from those 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 times, uh, you know, identifying, getting the girls together and letting them identify what success is going to be for them through this International Cup. Um, and certainly no, no preconceptions of what that might be. Um, we're not going to know until we rock up and play our first game in the International Cup whether that was going to be this year or whether it's going to be next year. So we won't uh, we won't know until we line up against our first team, to be honest. We're lucky that quite a number of International Cup games from the 2017 tournament were filmed and we know that there'll be still a fair amount of turnover for a number of sides coming into the tournament. But knowing that the Irish will be there... The USA will be there, Great Britain, Fiji, for example, Canada as well. Do you take the opportunity to take anything out of those 2017 games, watch it back, look at players that could possibly be playing for the opposition, a style of football that certain countries may play in a way of preparing you for the tournament? Um, yeah, there is an element of that. Um, we've got to be, you've always got to be mindful of it. I think, um, you know, it's a 
depending on what, who's coaching them and who, what, their, what their player list is like. At the end of the day, um, a lot of those things are out of our control. So um, from, a, from a New Zealand Kahu perspective, it's going to be what's our game um, and it's going to be what the girls decide is going to be successful for them uh, at the end of the day uh, because we don't have a baseline to uh, come across. Ideally, we would have uh, the opportunity in the lead-up to next year to play uh, more than just games against each other and have a trial match against someone. Um, that'll be something that AFL New Zealand will be uh, looking to arrange, I would be um, thankful for. But um, certainly, you know, we, we will be focusing on who, who ends up in the final squad and then, then we'll work out how we're going to play our game and then we'll take it out and then we'll have the baseline to go off. I just want to go through with you some of those star players that could be playing for the Kahua that have stood out in the uh, Premiership. In fact, they were named as uh, nominees for the 2020 AFL New Zealand Female Player of the Year on the aflnz.co.nz uh, website. If you can talk us through some of them. Uh, first of all, uh, Petra Milne. Yeah, Petra Milne is a very young player. Um, she's uh, certainly learning the ropes and learning to work in the in the in the in the game of uh, AFL and the team sport that it is. Um, probably one of our taller and most. She's a, a distance runner, so she's certainly got a fuel tank there, and um, that's probably to a detriment because she doesn't want to do the rotations sometimes. Um, as every good player wants to stay out there and playing, but. Um, no, she's a very good player and will. Uh, she wants to learn. She's got that little bit of a fire in the belly as well for a young player. So, yeah, she's pretty exciting. How about uh, Mia Allison, who I believed uh, performed well in one of the matches against uh, the Mornington Peninsula last year? Yeah, she's a uh, she's great value. Um, very good on the netball court as well. Um, very... Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd put her as a, a very much a utility player but playing out of the midfield and can play uh, off the half bank in the wing and also on ball. Um, but yeah, certainly knows where the goals are as well. So very versatile player. Again, agile um, and just really attacks the ball nicely. And the captain of the New Zealand Kahoo under 18s, uh, Buell Vakay. Buell Vakay, well, there's, <laughs> yeah, she's great. Um, you won't see someone go uh, be more competitive. Um, certainly, uh, she likes to. Um, she's been around for a while, this year, and, and you know, taken. You know, she's developed each each game she's played and each year, and, and she knows quite a bit about the sport now, and um, hence why she is uh, a leader within the youth field. Um, but also, she takes that out into the field, and, and, and all the girls that are mentioned. It, it's a really good environment that they create. Um, but Bill, she gets in and under the ball and gets it out and distributes very well. Jamie White, who I believe, uh, what, five or six seasons in now? Yeah, definitely. So, um, Jamie, she's a, a NADA national representative in uh, touch. Uh, so she's a, a New Zealand representative in touch as well. Um, currently studying down in Otago. And um, she's a very... A very quick, agile player, um, and yeah, likes to get amongst it. And uh, Kalani Mori, who was uh, announced uh, just the other day as the 2020 AFL New Zealand uh, Women's Player of the Year. Yeah, well, she's uh, she's a very strong, very dominant uh, player in the games that she's played. Um, 
And I think uh, the, 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 the real benefit for Kalani is her experience that she's had playing for Tasmania and also the Eastern Analysts. Unfortunately, at the moment, she's just under a, a, an injury crowd and we're hopeful um, that there's an opportunity for her to recover for the next year. She's, I think she's, um, she's got an ACL um, through her netball. She's a very successful netball player as well. Uh, currently playing one of the feeder clubs. Well, not currently, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, with one of the feeder clubs in netball as well. So, uh, she's um, extremely strong, uh, very fit, uh, can run all day. Um, and you know, can be a utility player and played anywhere around the field. So she's probably, yeah, she'll be a dominant player for us. We've seen in the AFLW an influx of uh, Irish women, particularly through the Crosscoders program. We've seen the first American make her debut in uh, Danielle Marshall. Are you surprised we haven't seen as many Kiwis come across yet? Um, a, because we've already got a few Rugby 7 players that have converted across, mainly at Carlton, to, to play AFLW. And and secondly, um, compared to the Irish women and the American, uh, the visa situation favours New Zealanders a lot more favourably. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know why. Um, there's certainly some um, quality athletes here in New Zealand. Um I think uh, what are the opportunities here in New Zealand for those athletes as well um, around netball and now rugby um, on a number of levels uh, or number, uh, uh, a number of variations of the code uh, here in New Zealand. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why, whether it's uh, the clubs uh, are looking or not, I don't know, and, or what those opportunities are. I think it's possibly because um, and this is an assumption. It could be because we've been heavily focused in the UCL space and we haven't had a, a, a strong uh, women's competition at this stage. Um, that is changing. Um, so there will be more opportunities, I believe, as the, as the women get the opportunity to play uh, the sport here in New Zealand as well. And where is that stronger focus on recruiting coming from? Because Aussie rules is not the national sport as it is here. Is it predominantly women coming from rugby sevens? They are, in fact, coming from a netball background instead, or are they coming from uh, general athletics, track and field, for example? Oh, look, they're, they're coming from everywhere, to be honest. Um, you know, uh, we talk about netball. Netball's been, uh, for the youth girls, netball's been strong. There's obviously been some uh, rugby players. And in, I know in Wellington, uh, there's a fair few from the Wellington uh, rugby players down, down in that space, as well as uh, Christchurch. Um, you know, when you talk about uh, the Irish, we've got a few of the uh, Irish girls playing here, uh, crossing over from Gaelic football as well, um, and, and, and having a run and uh, mixing up their code. And it is just good to see because they're, they're pretty far in there. They're, they're, they're pretty committed to it as well. But um, oh, look, the player base is from anywhere. The, the youth girls comes from school uh, specifically and gives them another opportunity to play a different code, a different sport or in some cases, given not many player contact sports that they, they, they haven't previously had the opportunity to. Um, it's sort of, it's not quite as, you know, so if you look at uh, rugby, it's quite confrontational, and from the women's perspective, AFL, so it's not as linear and confrontational, so they, they give it a go and maybe they enjoy it. Um, but that's not always the case. Uh, it is always uh, people who rugby support, and that's fantastic. Well, and that's the benefit of AFL here. We play it in the summer, so 
they can play both their codes. They do compete, however, with um, touch, and a lot of the girls do play touch as well. From a mental perspective, what's it been like dealing with the squad having a campaign delayed by a year? It's a once-every-three-year tournament, this International Cup. No doubt those who thought they would uh, be in the squad uh, and be coming over the Sunshine Coast would have been all excited. But prior to COVID-19, it's like, hey, there's only about three months to go. We're almost here. And now they've got to wait a further 12 months on that. What's it been like trying to deal with them and reset their goals and reset their focus for one more year out? Um, for a lot of them, this is their first time playing AFL this uh, year um, and last year. So I think for some of them, they were a bit um, overawed to a point. And, and, uh, but a lot of them were really excited. Um, and I think um, the opportunity to put another few games underneath their belt before they, they've got the potential to play for New Zealand, I think... Um, uh, I think they're appreciative of um, and certainly will be setting their goals uh, looking forward to 2021. And from yourself as a coach in your goal selling setting, does it make you a bit more bullish for 2021? I'm guessing for 2020, you're more than happy just to get a side out in the park and let, let's hope that things click and, we, and, and it's a respectable performance. Does that make you want to, I guess, demand a little bit more out of the side for 2021? Have set your goals a little bit higher because you'll now have more time together. Well, I, I, maybe, maybe I've made a, maybe I've uh, not not made it quite clear. Is that it's not about me being bullish and me enforcing my goals on the field. Um, who's, who's it for? It is for the team, and it's the team to make their decision on what success is going to be for them. Uh, it's not about for me, it's not just about trying to get a team out on the field. We will have a team out on the field and they'll be competitive. It's just a matter of what success for them is going to be. Um, whether we win a game or not, I don't know. I, I'm not going to know that until I put a team out on the field and get a baseline and understand what the opposition are like. So, and, I'd, and, and I'd be wrong trying to say we're going to go out and win a game because it's completely out of our control. What is in our control will be what the girls decide is success for them and they will set their own goals and I will support them and coach them to be able to achieve those goals and that success. Well, Mick, thank you very much for your time for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. We uh, wish you all the very best over the coming weeks as we all try and get through this COVID-19 situation. And fingers crossed that footy's back on for you again sooner rather than later. And we wish you all the very best in 2021 in your inaugural uh, head coaching role with the International Cup and the New Zealand Kahoo. Awesome. Hey, thank you very much for your time, Pete. And we thank Mick very much for his time and look forward to the Kahoo making their debut at AFL International Cup 2021. We'll have more of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival straight after this. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks. Because footy makes you smile, sweet kicks football. If you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile, Sweet Kicks Football. Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? 
then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. In Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, this is the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. To the second of our guests for this week, she is the captain of the Texas Heat. Who are the Texas Heat? Well, they play in the United States Australian Football League at regional and national tournaments. And they're a combination of three clubs who have their own individual men's sides, but not enough players to form their own individual women's sides. So they all combine together to form the Texas Heat to take part in tournaments. Those clubs being the Dallas Dingoes, who were formerly known as the Dallas Magpies, the Austin Crows, and the Houston Lone Stars. And that is where Hayley Rebar is based out of Houston. She is the captain of the Texas Heat. She is looking to improve on their record. They've finished 2-2 two and two in the 2017 tournament, 2-2 two and two in the 2018 tournament. Didn't get a win at 2019, but they're hoping should we have a Nationals tournament in Ontario, California this coming October that they improve on that 2-2 two and two record that they've set so far and possibly take home a Division 2 title. It's great to have Hayley Reba on the line. Hayley, how are you? I'm doing well today. How about yourself? Not too bad at all. I guess we find you there in Houston at the moment. Um, how is everyone considering the uh, unusual times we're living in at the moment? You know, I, I think everyone's doing okay. Uh, the Lone Stars have been doing a lot of community stuff, um, working out together on apps, um, tracking progress that way. We do Zoom calls once a week just to meet as a team and hang out so, so everybody gets, you know, a little person-to-person contact without having to go out. Well, let's rewind back a little bit before we talk about current-day Texas Heat football. And yourself, Haley, as a sports person uh, growing up through your high school years and your college years, predominantly what sports were you playing? Yeah, so I started playing travel ball softball when I was about eight years old. Um, Really into that. My dad played baseball all growing up, and so the whole family is into it. My little sister um, is actually graduating this year after playing at the University of North Texas. Um, I played a little bit at A&M softball and then ancillary to that, um, my club softball teams get, got together and started playing volleyball as well as something to do in the off season. And those two worked together really well. And I had a lot of fun doing both of those pretty seriously for, um, my formative years. Can you talk us through those colleges uh, playing softball at uh, Texas A&M? Because uh, obviously here in Australia, as much as everyone goes to university here, college sport per se isn't that big. You're expected to be recruited, what would say, through your high school years when you're 17, 18 into the AFL and then you'd play uh, immediately from when you're 18 years old, obviously, if you're that good. What is the college system like there in the US when we're talking about how many days per week you're training and the professionalism of that setup? Yeah, so if we're talking about women's softball, um, when I was getting recruited, you would verbally commit to a university, especially a bigger one, um, some of the Power 5 conference schools, your freshman or sophomore year. Um, I think I was the latest commit in my class, and I committed the very end of the summer of my sophomore year in high school. And then uh, as far as training days per week, so you have your off-season and your on-season. And then we also had a fall ball schedule. So in the off season, we were in the weight room four days a week for two hours each. And then 
practice, um, the NCAA limited us to two hours with a coach per week, but everybody was out there, I don't know, probably 10 hours total getting an extra work. Once fall ball comes around, we have two-hour practices every day, every day um, Monday to Friday, plus um, weights. Uh, I think it was still four days a week in the off season, And then in season, you, you're practicing – um, we had Mondays off. We practiced Tuesday, played a game on Wednesday, practiced Thursday, and then traveled Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to play a three-game series for the in-conference rivals or to play five games if it was a tournament weekend. Can you talk about, I guess, the media focus on those sports in college that aren't necessarily college football, which of course has huge coverage. We talk about all the channels and we see all the uh, bowl games and the college football playoffs. We know that uh, men's basketball is big and women's basketball as well through the uh, March Madness. But when we're talking about uh, the the lesser known sports, softball is traditionally big when it comes to the Olympic Games. But what's the focus on women's softball at college level in, in the local media? Yeah, it's actually a lot bigger than you would think. Um, recently, softball moved into the number four spot for revenue um, revenue in the college sports world, um, and that's behind the big three of the men's side, which is football, basketball, baseball. And so softball is pretty big here in the States, especially um, when I was going and playing. They were airing all of the SEC, which is our conference, all the SEC games on at least ESPN+. Plus. So all those games were getting televised and Actually, there's a, there's a, starting to be a huge media pool. And I know a couple of years ago, or maybe for the last couple of years, that softball's been more viewed in its um, final season tournament than baseball has as far as college kids go. So it's growing. Hopefully they can make a pro league out of it that actually makes the players some money soon. Let's talk about your post-college career and your transition to rugby because we noticed not a lot of going straight out of college, obviously, to Aussie Rules football. They typically stumble upon Aussie Rules by finding their way through another sport. And one of the most common one is rugby. So I guess that leads to the tactics that rugby are doing to try and recruit women to their game. So how did you first come across Rugby Union? Um, Yeah, so I decided I was going to play softball anymore I needed to focus more on my studies um I was getting an engineering degree so it was pretty brutal at the time um a friend of a friend at a party asked saw me and asked me to come play rugby you know I'm a big girl um a good help as a prop especially on the college team and uh, I kind of fell in love with it just because I there's never a con there's not really any contact sports for women besides rugby and Aussie rules and Aussie rules isn't too huge and rugby's small as well and so when I found rugby, that was a lot of fun. I played for my junior and senior in college. Then I started playing for a women's team in Houston when I moved out here after I graduated for work. Um, the Aussie, uh, all that time, meanwhile, I was watching a lot of rugby games on YouTube trying to learn about the sport. Um, I hated being confused on the field, which is, I know that people, in, I don't know if people in Aussie rules do it the same way, but rugby's kind of trial by fire, and most people find it in college. They just throw you into a game and let you figure it out. So uh, I was watching a lot of YouTube games and a bunch of the AFL games started coming up on my recommended videos. Um, I watched like the 14 grand final, the 13 grand final, and it looked like a lot of fun. And then on my Instagram uh, discover page, the Texas Heat were holding an open tryout. And so I decided to go give that a try. I think 
eight months, six months after I moved to Houston. So what year was that exactly that you end up uh, having your first tryout with the Houston Lone Stars? I believe it was 20, I guess it was 2018. So I was coming off of a broken hand from rugby. Once that healed up, the rugby season was pretty much over. And, and then we went and tried um, Aussie rules, a couple of my friends from rugby and I. So you found yourself to the uh, uh, tryout day being hosted by the Houston Lone Stars. Of course, when we say Houston, Austin and Dallas, as it stands at the moment, they have their own uh, individual men's sides due to lack of numbers. The women form together to make that Texas Heat team. What's the skills that, A, you first found easily transferable from what you'd learnt in rugby to Aussie rules? And B, what were some of the hardest things that you found to try and transition to and pick up? Some of the easier things to me are the spacing. Um, coming from rugby to Aussie rules, there's not really a fear of contact. Um, I'd say Aussie rules with less contact, but can be more brutal sometimes depending on the direction you're going. So you're not afraid of the contact. You're well on the spacing and running onto the ball is huge in rugby. So running onto the ball in footy just kind of makes sense from that perspective. Uh, the hardest thing for me was the kicking. Um, I, I was a prop in rugby, which so I'm not too good at hand to foot, and I always played softball or volleyball. And never, never picked up a soccer ball or anything like that. So it took me a long time, probably the full first year I was playing, getting a bunch of kicks in and to even kick on target, kick on target, you know. I'm interested with that, with that skill, because as you said, you haven't kicked through soccer. When they're trying to teach you the skills for the very first time and they've identified that, and particularly rugby, which is obviously more of a flick throw, do they try and go, okay, you're more of an inside player, you're going to get the ball, we're going to work on your handballing skills first, just worry about dishing it off to someone else before they focus on kicking skills? Yeah, definitely. Especially on the women's side, you know, some people come in and they have zero experience with sport. Some people come in like me and they've been playing something for 10 years. And so the first thing you really want to get down is the movement because eventually you're going to get it to somebody who can kick it a good ways. And so just avoiding defense is probably the first focus and marks. Do you recall your first game with the Texas Heat? Um, yeah, my first game was a scrimmage in Dallas. So what we do... As the boys play the Texas Cup and they travel to play the Austin and Dallas teams, and I think the Oklahoma one as well every once in a while, all the women meet up and we'll have either a full-out practice or scrimmages against each other, um, seven, eight aside, hopefully, if we can get everybody there. And, of course, for that American term, scrimmage, we remind Australians that's either practice match or they're now throwing around the fancy term match simulation now. Um <laughs> So, so what have you thought? You, you've played your first game. What keeps drawing you back to want to play? Because it could be easily like when you try a new sport, you can go, eh, it's not for me. I haven't got the skills. It's a bit too hard. No, thanks. What keeps drawing you back? Oh, I, I love it. I love the competition and having there be contact in the sport is really huge for me. And I, getting out with everybody is a lot of fun. And I was looking for something to do uh, while rugby was off in the summer, so I didn't have to play seven. And uh, Aussie Rules is perfect. It gets me in a lot better shape. Um, it's a ton of fun. I get to jump up and catch a ball, throw a couple hits in. Um, and it's been a blast, especially with the Lone Stars. They're such a good club. 
um, such a good club culture that we have. You know, the the boys and the girls, we practice together a lot, and they're a, a good group. You've been thrown into the ruck position, um, simply because you're a bigger build, you can throw the body around, you can out-muscle players, particularly when we're talking about a, a ball in or when we have a throw-up around the ground where we don't have to worry about the two centre circles. Uh, what's some of the things that you've been trying to understand uh, as you go along and learn more about the game when you're trying to learn more about the ruck art, particularly when we've got the good old-fashioned punch or, of course, uh, with other rucks which rely more on tap work? Yeah, I, I really rely on communication with um, the midfielders around me or whoever else is around me because they dictate a lot of what I'm trying to do in the ruck, whether it is a, a straight punch or a tap to the side to one of them because uh, we got a couple speedsters out there that aren't me. And and it, it's it's imperative for me, especially being a newer player, still trying to understand the rules of the game and the game itself to communicate with them and then tell me what they want so I can just tap it to them and go in for support. Now, your USAFL Nationals career, according to your profile on the Houston Lone Stars uh, Facebook page, says you played one Nationals. Now, did you head up to the uh, frosty conditions of racing Wisconsin or more of the sunshine of uh, Sarasota, Florida? No, I was blessed to stay south of the Mason-Dixon line here in the U.S. and not go up to the cold Wisconsin Nationals. I got to go to sunny Florida, which was gorgeous and on a beautiful ground. Now, before we talk about that tournament, you did, however, venture north once. We know for the Central Regional Tournament, where you took on the all-conquering Denver. Denver decided to split their side into two. But an important win for the Texas Heat beating Denver. That's a Division Two side beating a Division One side. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I know they split their team and they tried to split them evenly. So we weren't facing the full might of Denver, but it was huge for us, especially that being the first time that we meet at the Texas Heat and get to play all together on one team. Um, getting Just getting a W against Division One players was huge. And, and then that same day we played the other Denver side pretty close. Um, the last game of the day, the Minnesota Freeze, I think it might have been a mox, uh, com- uh, combined team for them um, with a couple of the Midwest kids, but just getting that experience as a full team of the Texas Heat and running it close with a couple of the teams out there, getting a win, it was huge. Um, and it gives you a lot of momentum, even though Nationals is a couple months away. Uh, a lot of momentum and a lot of confidence knowing that you can hang with the footy teams that all get to practice together. Looking through the uh, Nationals campaign for the Texas Heat in 2017, which was an extraordinary campaign because they'd only been together for a couple of months and then managed to fill the side and go to San Diego. Two wins, two losses from the tournament. 2018, again, middle of the road uh, in uh, Racine, Wisconsin. Two wins, two losses. Um, the 2019 campaign didn't go as well. It was no wins coming away from the tournament, including losses against uh, DC Eagles and Columbus, who you had beaten the previous year. Reflecting back on that and being able to watch back some of the games, uh, what do you take away from last year's Nationals that you go, OK, we, we've kind of fallen down there or fallen behind in some areas compared to other teams, and what do you need to work on looking back at that? Yeah, definitely what we need to work on is catching marks. I think that was a weakness. You know, um, for some reason, every time the Texas, Texas Heat has met, met up, we've had no problem 
giving teams all we can as far as contact goes. Um, every every ball's a fight, but it's the marks that we drop that really hurt us and also the kicks we don't make uh, because of that. And so we're really good at picking up the ball, but now we just got to work on booting it out and catching it down the field. Um, there's a lot of fight in our team, and so I don't really worry about them. I know that they're working hard even without being able to go to practice. So... So let's talk about the off-season prior to, obviously, COVID-19 happening. Um, What was it like, A, in terms of trying to recruit new players to your side, whether through Houston or the Dallas or Austin arm? And also, had there been any chance for pre-season training, even if it was just general fitness, prior to, obviously, everyone having to put a stop on everything? Yeah, well, I was in the midst of rugby. I couldn't make a lot of the off-season training that they were doing. I had just just started to commit to all the practices every week. But what the Houston Lone Stars do is we run a fitness through footy for about six weeks beforehand. Everybody meets up at a park and they go run and we do whatever they do to stay in shape. And then we had just started our official practices with the footy running around, actually getting work in um, on Aussie rule skills. And, uh, and then we had to cancel practice. So that was unfortunate. I guess very frustrating for everyone because when we're looking ahead for you um, at the moment, uh, you were due to host the Central Regionals. Uh, it was being held in Texas, being held in Arlington on June 13. There hasn't been an official call on it yet from the US AFL, but um, as the clock keeps ticking away the, the the odds become more unlikely um and then obviously you were going to have a bunch of other matches uh lined up um is there any plans at all for games going forward or is it just a case of we have to wait until we get the okay and then a fixture will be made up from there yeah right now everything's up in the air especially since our government's going state by state on opening the, everyone back up, whatever shops. And so that's that's going to be different across all of these teams that want to come travel. And so, yeah, everything's up in the air right now. I'm hoping everything can open up and we can get playing, but I understand that there's a safety issue involved, and so we need to wait and listen. And whenever they give us the go-ahead, I know we're going to be going hard because of the lost time. Uh, just to give us an idea of what's happening in Texas, the Melbourne, we're in stage three restrictions here in Melbourne, Victoria, which is if you can stay home, you should stay home and no more than two people at a time, uh, excluding families uh, outdoors and bars and restaurants closed. What is the situation there at the moment in Texas? Um, it, it's different city by city. So there's a lot of small towns in Texas that they pretty much have operated normally. There's not going to be big outbreaks there anyway. In Houston, it's, Pretty similar. Stay at home if you can. Um, my job is considered essential, so I'm still going into the office because I do it with energy. But, yeah, so people, you can go to the park, but they, I think they've closed the parking lot. Um, so you have to walk there. And restaurants and bars and stuff like that are closed. Take out only everywhere. And a lot of people are staying home. Um the majority of the time. 
One player we actually haven't uh, talked about, she played with the uh, Arizona Hawks and was from the Colorado School of Mines, was uh, Danielle Marshall, the uh, first American woman to play in the AFLW. What has that reaction been like for the Houston Lone Stars, being able to see an American woman out there? And I guess uh, what uh, added, um, I guess, uh, morale boost has it given the side, knowing that, okay, uh, one of us, an American, has made it to that level? Oh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to talk to my teammates about that. But for me, it's super exciting, especially in the formative years of the AFLW, for an American woman to make it out there. And, you know, in women's sport, I could, I think it's going to be a lot more conducive to people traveling to play AFL, you know. Um, there's not as many players, as big of a talent pool usually for a women's sport. And so picking somebody up from the States was great, and especially – it's especially good to see that the sport is growing and that the AFLW is doing well enough to be able to have players travel in like that. And finally, before we let you go, Haley, um, for those that may be listening and have some Australian friends over in Texas, and we know there's actually um, a lot of Aussies over there, particularly working in the fuel industry, particularly with uh, companies such as BHP, etc. Um, if they're based either in Houston, which is the home of the Lone Stars, Dallas, the home of the Dingoes, or in Austin, the home of the Crows, and they all feed players to the women's Texas Heat team, uh, where can they find more information in case they feel like coming out and having a kick once everything is back to normal oh they can look us up on social media message anyway you can facebook um instagram especially right now it's going to be key and message the clubs as well each club has a woman in charge getting everybody together for the texas heat and again those clubs houston lone stars dallas dingoes and austin crows Haley, thank you very much for joining us here on the women's australian rules football podcast on rsn carnival and we wish you all the very best as you try and get through the COVID 19 situation like all of us and fingers crossed that we're back playing footy sooner rather than later yeah thank you so much for your time once again, we thank Haley very much for her time. And as you heard in the middle of the podcast, we're talking about whether there was a possibility of the Central Regional Tournament going ahead. This interview was recorded before the announcement was made by the United States Australian Football League, confirming that the Central, Western and Eastern Regional Tournaments have been cancelled for 2020 due to the COVID-19 situation. At this stage, the National Tournament is still going ahead in mid-October in Ontario, California. But as always, keep an eye on usafl.com for further updates. That concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival for yet another week. This program airs every Wednesday, 6pm Melbourne time. And you can also find it from that time as a podcast via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app, and at warfradio.com. Just search for the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. And don't forget to find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Search WARF Radio. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company. And until next week, it's bye for now.